Welcome to the Robert Lewis Sermons Podcast, an archive of Robert Lewis's sermons while at Fellowship Bible Church in Little Rock, Arkansas. We hope you are encouraged and deepen in your love of Christ while enjoying this podcast. Here is this week's message. There are all kinds of fantasies that we take into account from time to time as we live our lives. Uh, some of those things are changes we'd like to make, and sometimes we dream about places we'd like to go and uh, things that we would like to do, thinking those things would make our lives better. But oftentimes, I think uh, those things are merely that, fantasies, and are not nearly as good as they seem to be in a particular moment. Judith Vorse puts her finger on one such fantasy in a book that she wrote entitled, How Did I Get to Be 40? and Other Such Atrocities. She has a very interesting title in that book, and the name of the title of that chapter is Alone, and it goes like this. Alone I could own both sides of the bed and stay up reading novels until late in the night, and no one would be there telling me, turn off the lights and hogging all the blankets. And no one would be here saying he's taking the car or noticing that I let the milk spoil. Alone, I could talk long distance for an hour, and who would stop me? Alone, a hard-boiled egg would be a meal, and the living room couch would be red and not compromised green. Alone, no one would be here brushing his teeth with my brush and pushing the thermostat down to 60 degrees. Alone, I could give goodwill my boots and skis and switch to beaches. I could give up understanding detente and the Super Bowl and most of all Cousin Rose. And no one would be here telling me which of my clothes make me look chunky. <laughs> Alone, no one would be here steaming the bathroom mirrors up in the morning, wanting his back massaged and his buttons sewn. No one would be here. I would be alone and I would hate it. You know, loneliness is something many people deal with, and in particular, there are a number probably here in our body who are single, and they suffer a special kind of loneliness. Uh, they've never been married, and they have expectations of, at some point in the future, choosing a life partner and ending the aloneness needs and having someone there to whom they can share their dreams with. But there is another kind of loneliness that I would like to address this morning. A loneliness that's much more intense than being single and looking forward to having someone to share your dreams with. It's a loneliness of having shared your dreams, but now finding yourself alone again, desperately wanting someone to share the overwhelming responsibilities with. It's the life of a single parent. The life of a single parent has an incredible aloneness with intense responsibilities that are coated with less money, not more money. Responsibilities that are coated with still fresh feelings of rejection, even though there have been maybe months or even years since the rejection occurred. Responsibilities that are coated with disillusionment about life altogether, moments of panic, fear, loss of self-esteem, 
Moments where you have fits of anger about life not being fair. Moments of being sexually vulnerable and not knowing where to turn. Well, that's loneliness with an exclamation point. That's a special kind of loneliness. It's not just being companionless. It's being companionless plus rejection. And plus fear and plus financial strain and plus guilt and plus wanting to know, is God there? Does God hear? Plus sexual starvation. Plus disillusionment. All these plus, plus children. Massive responsibility. Here's a fairly typical moment in the life of a single parent because a single parent's not alone in one sense because to be a parent you have to have a child. And it goes something like this. It was the night of the school play and Jeff inched the stage curtain aside and looked for his mother among the crowd filling the gym. Behind him costumes rustled. A shoe squeaked against the stage floor. Men and women walking together entered the gym. Some had small children with them. And after one couple sat down, a little boy climbed into his father's lap. Jeff felt the familiar ache just below his ribs. He wondered what it felt like to have a father hold you. He would never know because his father had left before he was born. Jeff blinked. It was silly he knew to think his mother would come if just he stared hard enough. Besides, she had two jobs. She had warned Jeff she might not be able to get time off. They were busy at work. Jeff wished he could quit her night job. I mean, he mowed the lawn and raked the leaves and shoveled snow in order to buy his own clothes. Yet still, they had only a small apartment. Yet Jeff liked his school. Other kids in Jeff's class, they lived with only one parent too. Suddenly, Jeff saw his mother, and he sighed. Wow, she had made it. She walked to the third row where Jill's father sat, alone, with the mothers of six more of Jeff's classmates. This group always sat together at school events. They were different, at least from the other parents of Jeff's classmates, because they were called single parents. That's a reality. And that's not a far reality dependent whether your income differs or your socioeconomic background is different. It's still pretty much the same. You know, for a lot of us in this auditorium today, this is a meaningful message just because single parenting is foreign to us. Single parenting is a lot like a, a foreign coin that from time to time you find in your uh, pants pocket or your purse that somehow got there and you're not exactly sure how it made it. But you wonder, because it's a foreign corn, coin, what you should do with it and uh, what you should make of it. Single parenting is a lot like that in a church body, and yet you can grab that coin, and if you pull up real close and take a look at the two sides of that coin, two very powerful impressions are on each side of that coin. On the first side is a unique, unrelenting impression 
of loneliness. And then if you flip the coin over, on the other side is a high-intensity, round-the-clock responsibility that never, ever seems to stop. And there's no one there to pass it off to. Those are the two sides, the two views, that I think most bond single parents together as a group. Now, personally, I'm amazed that anybody could be a single parent and raise a child. I mean, I have four of my own, and, and there are many nights where I feel a lot like General Custer at his last stand. You know, they're on the side of the hill, surrounded, and you know you don't have the energy or the effort or the wisdom to know what to do in that moment. You just want to curl up on the sofa and say, Honey, <laughs> could you take care of this? But there's no one else to call out to in a single parent home. And it's not a question of, could you do it? It's a question. It's not a question at all. It's a statement. You must do it, isn't it? That's single parenting. It's a reality, and it's a growing reality. You know, back in 1960, only three out of every 30 kids in a public school were of single parents. In 1970, six out of every 30 in a public school were of single parents. And by the year 2000, if the trends continue, 15 out of 30 in all the schools will be of single parent households. And out of all the single parents, only one in 10 is a man. The other nine are women. And one half of those women awarded child support will never receive it from their man. They'll be alone. You know, the first year after a woman becomes a single parent, on the average, her income drops 73%. She bears a tremendous responsibility in that. You know, when I read that, it brought to mind a statement that Paul made to the church 2,000 years ago in 1 Timothy 5. And he said this, he said, if anyone, and I think the anyone, if you follow the context, most points the arrow to the man. If anyone does not provide for those of his household, his children and his wife, and the other way, this is a God-inspired statement, not just Paul's opinion. But if anyone does not provide for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Boy, those are strong words. In the first century, I think the church took that pretty strong. It applies to every man. Regardless of whether you've been married once or twice, it's still your responsibility with your wives that they're taken care of. It doesn't matter how many children you've had and whether you fathered them outside of wedlock or inside of wedlock, they're still your responsibility. That's what the Scripture teaches, if you're a Christian. And as Christians, we ought to advocate strong laws that deal well and fairly with women who are abandoned. And we ought to enforce hard time for men who neglect those monthly payments. But I'm not here to talk about the law. I'm talking about single parenting. And that's what I'd like to do this morning because single parenting is caused not just by desertion. It's not just those moments where you come home at the end of the day and you find this person that you had entrusted yourself with saying, I'm not going to live here anymore. I found someone else. 
Boy, those are devastating words. But single parenting is also caused by the police car pulling up at your house one night. Late. The lights flashing. And a knock on the door. And a policeman who says, I'm sorry. Single parenting is caused by a routine checkup and an x-ray that didn't turn out like you thought it was going to turn out. And the clock starts ticking till the end. And then the other person is left alone. It doesn't matter how you became a single parent to me. It's just that in single parenting, they all have the common thread of this, and that is single parenting always starts hard. And it lasts long. And sometimes the disorientation of becoming a single parent lasts for years. But we want to give some help here this morning. Help for the single parent. And I want you to know as I offer this, it's not because I can identify with single parents. I can't. I've never been one. I don't know the pain. And I don't know the loneliness. And I don't know the exhaustion of getting up the next morning and know that those mornings seem to string out forever. I don't know that. But what I do know and what I can offer is this. By being a pastor for almost 20 years, I can say that I've dealt with a lot of single parents. And in that time, you get to where you observe certain things. And you observe from some, some very healthy characteristics of single parenting. And from some others, you learn those things that are unhealthy. On top of that, I have God's Word, this book which allows any person who gets into it the chance to transcend their situation and draw off the wisdom to apply to any person. And that's where I'd like to start this morning. So why don't you take your Bibles and your outlines out and let's do just that because we're going to start by looking at some promises that God offers to the single parent. And we'll look first in Deuteronomy 31. Now as you're turning there, let me say that these four scriptures that we're going to look at very quickly are what I call anchors for an unsteady heart. I've listed them on your outlines as promises, but I want you to know they are only promises from God's perspective. This is what He offers, the unseen yet powerful God. He offers these promises to every single parent. But from our perspective as a single parent, these promises are meant to become convictions. And yet, this is something I think we can all attest to. A promise doesn't become a conviction without a lot of bleeding knuckles and strained muscles on the inside. See, when I think about a statement, that any statement that's made in the Bible that's offered to us by an unseen God, I think of a person who's down at the summit of a tall mountain peak, and he's got to get to the top. And to make that promise a reality, he's got to climb that summit. And all the way along, there's a lot of danger. There's a lot of pain. Sometimes there's a lot of doubt. And it's only until he gets to the top does his perspective change from looking at just snow and ice and rocks to a different perspective where he can see a panorama of the world and the beauty thereof. That's how you move a promise to a conviction. And all of us have to climb those, those summits to understand how God is a reality. But a single parent has a lot of summits to climb as well to embrace these particular promises that I'm going to mention. And while they do, I want you to know, and as hard as it is, there's going to be a lot of internal conflict and there's going to be some fights and some wrestling between three foes, fact, 
faith, and feeling. And they're going to duke it out. But that's okay. That's how it becomes a conviction. Only after there's been a time of soul searching, saying, is this really real? Is this true? Can I trust this? And then stepping out and then retreating a little bit and then stepping out again. Only after some time do those three foes become friends and you've got a conviction. Well, here are the four convictions that I think single parent needs to have. And by the way, what we're going to do is build a good house, a good home for a single parent today. And this first part we're going to talk about is the flooring. These promises are the flooring upon which a single parent needs to stand. The first is this. Let me give it to you and then we'll look at it in Deuteronomy 31. God promises to never leave you as a single parent alone. He promises never to leave you alone nor to ever fail you in the things that He has sworn to you. God will say, I'll never leave you alone and I'll always deliver on what I've sworn to you. Now, Deuteronomy 31 gives us a great example of that. This is a historical incident, but these people seized God's promises and saw them through to reality. It's Moses and the people of Israel, and they're in the land of Egypt, and they're trying to move into the promised land. And in verse 6 it says, as Moses speaks to them, he says, Be strong and courageous. Boy, those are good words. Do not be afraid or tremble at your enemies. For the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, and He will not fail you, nor will He forsake you. Well, that sounds fine, Moses, on this side. <laughs> but, you know, we've got to go and face the them of verse 6. And the them look a lot more powerful than us. They've got big cities. They've got tall walls. And have you seen the spears that they've got? Those are challenges. Single parent has challenges. How am I going to write out all the checks and still have anything left? How can I get up another morning when I've only got three hours to sleep tonight? Who do I have as friends? Who can I trust? Because when I trusted one time, I got burned. Those are challenges. I think what God would say was, whatever you do, don't pull back. Be strong and be courageous. Look at verse 8. And the Lord is the one who goes ahead of you, and He will be with you, and He will not fail you or forsake you. So don't fear or be dismayed. Sounds good, doesn't it? But it's a summit. And as a single parent, God promises it, but you've got to climb it. Let's look at the second one. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Jesus is speaking His first sermon. And He says this in verse 25. For this reason I say to you, do not be anxious for your life as to what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at verse 31. Do not be anxious then, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or with... What clothes shall we clothe ourselves? For all these things the Gentiles, that is, non-believers, eagerly seek. They're always trying to make themselves secure. And they put that first and foremost, those security needs, those survival needs. 
But your heavenly Father already knows that you need these things. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be, I promise, added unto you. The second promise is that God has guaranteed the believer some basic anxiety busters. He has said, single parent, it's going to feel like when you've been first left that you're free-falling into an ever-deepening abyss. And it'll get worse and worse. But in the midst of that fall, here's what I want you to know. God has prepared a floor so that you won't go beyond that. So you can steady yourself and pick yourself up. It's not a free fall. There's a bottom. And that bottom, and at that bottom, I've promised you some basic things. Not everything you want. But if you seek me, then here's what I promise you. See, it's a if this, then this proposition. If you seek me, then I guarantee that you won't have to worry about the basics of life. In my own supernatural way, I'll provide food and shelter and clothing for the rest of your life. Now that's a promise, but it's also a summit. But it's the floor of single parenting. You've got to trust, and yet trust is the one thing a single parent's not sure they want to do. Like I said, they've trusted once, and they were failed, they were burned. And so a single parent also almost uh, makes the fatal mistake of jumping and letting that fear take them downstream to the rapids. And that fear saying, don't ever trust anyone again. Don't ever open up your spirit. Don't ever open up your life. Just do it yourself. Make a way for yourself. Keep people as far away as you can. What a great error that is. You have to open up and trust again. And the first person you have to trust is God. God also promises to give you some relief. We see that in Psalm 146. Psalm 146. There's a statement that's made there in that great psalm of praise that shows that God has a special interest in the woman who's deserted or divorced or the child who is alone without a dad. In Psalm 146, verse 8, it says, The Lord opens the eyes of the blind, and the Lord raises up those who are beaten down. The Lord loves the righteous. And then he says in verse 9, And the Lord protects the strangers. And He supports the fatherless and the widow. That's a single parent, by the way. Now the word support in Hebrew means literally He gives relief to. Remember we talked about one side of the coin of single parenting is this sense of I've got this round-the-clock responsibility with no relief. And yet he says, for the righteous, God will provide relief. It may be unexpected. It may come from sources that right now you would have never thought of. And for many single parents, it's hard to accept at points. I mean, they feel somehow that might mean I haven't done a good job. Or I haven't done enough, and now somebody's got to kind of carry me a little bit. You know, oftentimes in those moments, you need to just open up your eyes. Remember it says in verse 8, He opens the eyes of the blind. And you need to see that what's coming your way 
is not a put down. It's just God offering some relief. I remember at the men's fraternity one Tuesday morning, a number of weeks ago, one of the assignments I gave the men to break up in groups was looking at Galatians 6.10. Now Galatians 6.10 says this, Do good, especially to those who are of the household of faith. And Gary and I were over at McDonald's talking about that verse and how we could apply it. He works with a lot of single parents, and I think it was he who made the statement, you know, maybe we ought to do something special at Christmas. And immediately we felt a kindred spirit, and we came up with an idea about uh, offering the single parents of our congregation a way to kind of do a little extra for Christmas. And some of you were the beneficiaries of that. That's great. But if you're a single parent, here's what I want you to know. That wasn't Gary and I's idea. Where do ideas come from? See, that was God's idea. That was God's moment to say, you know, it's about time some of the single parents at fellowship just had a little relief. That's how God works. He's got all kinds of moments like that. Remember Jimmy Durante? He used to crack a joke, and after he'd crack a joke, he'd say, and I got a million of them. You know what God does? He gives her a little relief, and then he laughs. And he says, and I got a million of them. And he does. See, God promises to give some relief. Then there's a last thing I'd like to look at. It's also in the Psalms, in Psalm 68, and that's this, that God promises to give some special advantages to the single parent. Now remember, this is just the floor that we're building right now. Psalm 68. Look with me at verse 4. It says, Sing to God. Sing praises to His name. Lift up a song for Him who rides through the desert. Ha! If you're a single parent, you've been there. In the desert, stark, dry, empty. Here's God riding through the desert whose name is the Lord, and, he, and we exult before Him. And then it says in verse 5, He is a father of the fatherless and a judge for the widow. God is in His holy habitation. God makes a home for the lonely. And He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. By the way, that Hebrew word prosperity is the word advantage. He leads the prisoners into advantages. Do you see the advantages in this passage? God wants to be a father to your boys and to your daughters. He wants to be a judge. He wants to do things that only He can do to make things right and fair. He wants to make you a home that takes a little of the chill out of your loneliness. And he wants to open doors of opportunity to what would otherwise seem like a prison. That's God. He can do this in any and every way. His power is unlimited in providing this. So here's the flooring for the single parent. The promise of not being alone or cut off from the promises. And by the way, the thing God has sworn to a single parent, just like He has sworn to all of us, is in Jesus' words, I've come that you might have life and have it abundantly. He's sworn that to you. Not a land, but a life. And he didn't somehow, when he made that statement to his disciples, whisper under his breath, yeah, but I've got to leave out single parents. No, there was no exceptions there. 
He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I've sworn to you a life. I promised to you some basic needs and some relief and even some special advantages. But you've got to climb the summit of faith. Well, only God can build that kind of floor. Now we need to put up some walls. Now we're going to make a transition here. And here's what I want you to know. And I'm speaking to the single parents at this moment. Only you, not anybody else, only you can build these walls. On your outline it says, gifts that I wish that I could give every single parent. That's a wish list that I'm going to give you. Because I can't give you these gifts. These are things you have to apprehend yourself. I wish I could give them, because if I could, I would be off this platform in a minute giving them to you. These are the things that I have observed in successful single-parent homes. I'm just going to enumerate them. We're going to move fairly quickly. Here's the first one. They all start with successful single parents. First of all, successful single parents learn to make right decisions, not desperate decisions. That's what they learn. They're disciplined in that. Now here's how they do that. When they come upon a certain major decision in their life, whether it's how to conduct discipline in the home or a financial decision or even the thought about remarrying, what a successful single parent does is always run to the mature and say, hey, ask me the hard questions. Inquire. Shoot it straight. Help me think this through so I make a right decision. And you know, right decisions are like pearls. You know, I could hold up a pearl as beautiful as it is, but it becomes more beautiful when I can put other pearls around it, string it together, and put it around a lovely woman's neck because it makes her even look more lovely. Good decisions are like pearls. And a number of good decisions strung together, hung around a single parent's neck, makes life look even better. But a successful single parent is not about to make a major decision alone. And they're going to listen to the wise and take in that godly counsel. Second thing is, a successful single parent will always have a vigorous prayer life. I personally, as I watch good parents, all successful single parents, they all have good prayer lives because it's through prayer that they embrace the heart of God. Where they move past just knowing facts to believing a person. And that's a successful single parent. They're really close to God. Thirdly, a successful single parent networks their family with others rather than isolate themselves from others. Now this is for all of us. I'm convinced that good parenting is a group process that extends even beyond the reach of a couple, a husband and a wife. I think we see that just from lessons learned of history because as you look back, the natural state of parenting was that around parenting would be aunts and uncles and grandmothers and granddads and cousins and those kind of things that added some additional support and a certain networking that allowed people to develop wholesome, healthy lives. Of course, in our day, we're so mobile, we fractured that network completely. There are many of us in this audience right now who don't have a cousin or even a cousin three times removed on your aunt's side that is within 500 miles of Little Rock. So you're cut off, maybe. In the 90s, I think that we need to bring back the family network 
And we won't be able to do it through blood kin. We're going to have to do it through formal covenants with one another. In my own home, I have had the uh, privilege, really, of having some of those experiences. There are some couples and some individuals in this church who've grown real close to my wife and I and our children. So much so that we share holidays together, we take some vacations together, special moments are shared and embraced together, and we have even sealed that by giving a formal title to some of those people. With my kids, though they don't have an aunt or an uncle anywhere in Little Rock, there are aunts and uncles. And when they see them in this building, they call them Aunt Debbie or Uncle John. They say it because it's formal. It's contractual. And that means if everybody else leaves, they'll be there. When there's a significant moment in our family's life, they're usually there. In the 90s, we're all going to need that. But the single parent especially needs that. Which leads me to the fourth one. Successful single moms, and I'm just addressing moms, need to find father figures for their sons. You know, studies show that single parents are of the greatest benefit to the child of the same sex. And since 90% of all single parents are women, that means that little boys are of the greatest risk in a single parent home. I think the inner city shows us that. We can see the ravages on those young men who grow up in female-only homes with a father deficit. And we are seeing the results, but the circle is getting much wider. Wake up! Successful moms will pursue tenaciously a male father figure. Whether it's through sports or clubs or church, however it is, they will pursue unrelentingly a male father figure the same way a woman would tenaciously find a doctor for her gravely ill son. You know, in a few weeks we'll have someone speak here at the church by the name of Stu Weber. He'll be our special speaker during our leadership conference. And uh, Stu's wife, Linda, grew up in a single parent home 20 years ago. And in the midst of that time, she, uh, her mom wisely understood that with the two boys that were there, they needed a male figure. Before all the research came out. They lived in Washington State, and she tried, and she couldn't find one. And so she picked up her family and moved to Texas, quit her job, and took a job at Pine Cove Christian Camps so that her boys could run around with men. And you know what? Today, they are men. When I grew up in my home, my dad was rarely around. He was kind of a shadow. I've told you that before. And I think that had a lot to do with my, my brother taking the alternative lifestyle because absent fathers in homosexuality have strong ties. But by just the grace and providence of God, He put me next to a, a man, a coach, who was willing to spend time with me. And I don't know why He took a special interest in me, but He did. And, 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 and He had a way, a unique way of bonding with me that impressed masculinity on my psyche. When I had my firstborn son, I named him Garrett because my coach's name was Garrett to honor the impact that he had had on my life. Young boys need a male figure in their life. 
Fifth, successful moms, single moms know, at least they have this straight, that God, not a man, is their Savior. <laughs> I mean, Paul says in 1 Timothy 5, I want the young widows to get remarried. That would be wonderful. And I would wish that on any woman who was in that single state who wanted to be remarried. I think that's great. But at the same time, that has to be done carefully. Remember, not desperate decisions, right decisions. Because a single mom needs to know that a good single parent is much, much better than two dysfunctional parents and will make a much greater impact on her children. Six, successful single parents refuse to let pity overcome their faith. If we were really honest, and I've been with single parents, they have a lot of times where they're mad. And you know what I tell them? That's okay. Get mad. There are times where they shut the bedroom door and throw the pillow or, you know, kick the wall, and they say, God, where are you? You're not helping at all. This isn't working. I'm not even sure you really care. All this stuff they talk about about your character, where is it? I tell them that's okay. Sometimes they'll even go so far in their anger as to go out and indulge in a sin to say, okay, God, if you're not going to help me, I'll just go out and enjoy. I don't, I'm not going to take this. I want you to know that's going to happen. It's going to happen. Only a deep-rooted faith can put Humpty Dumpty back together again when those times happen, though. See, it's faith. And let me share with you a secret that I have seen some of our single moms learn. By the way, it's, a, it's, it's Paul calls it in Philippians 4, the secret of life. Because see, we're all at point A. And most of us have an idea, however cloudy, that we want to get to point B. But I want you to know that the shortest distance between point A and point B is not a straight line. And for a single parent, it's not a straight line. The shortest distance between these two points is faith in God's Word. That's the shortest distance. And when you take that route, you finally discover the secret. And what is the secret? That when you get to point B, you become what you've always wanted to be while you were taking all those side roads. That's what you discover. And that's true of all of us, by the way. But I think a single parent needs to understand that. Especially because the hours are long and the days are hard. And sometimes it seems like there is no relief. And then lastly, successful single parents see their parenting only as a season, not a lifetime. A season that's worth it. You know, if we took the Proverbs, which are these wise sayings by Solomon, and read through them, we would find a statement come, that would come up over and over again. And when something comes up over and over again by the wisest man who ever lives, I think you better listen to it. Listen to what he says, Solomon. Proverbs 23. The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. He who raises a wise son will be glad in him. Proverbs 10.1. A wise son makes his father very glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Proverbs 17.25, a foolish son is grief to his father and bitterness to her who bore him. You know what it's saying? It's saying that there's a season in front of you. And sometimes it's a season that looks like it has no end, but it does. It will end. 
And therefore, are the long hours worth it? And the answer is a resounding yes. All the jobs that many of us have that are have two parents in a home and think, well, we're going to chase the, you know, the golden calf and all the prestige and all the honors and all those things, we need to hear that at the end of life, those things won't matter much. How many griefs have I seen of people who've lost their families and at the end want to hold up their trinkets of gold and silver and they're absolutely nothing? Proverbs are right. It was great having Jeff Schulte and his mom just visiting here this morning. Jeff's on the family ministry staff, graduated from Yale University. His mom made a one-figure income the whole time of Jeff's life with five others. There were six kids and her alone. All of them college educated. Jeff, Yale University. And how did she do it? She told me afterwards, I did every one of those things you said. And when I stood up at the end and I thought about the single women who were on the front end who can't see where I am, I thought, I would love to go tell them it's worth it. It's just a season. So hang in there. Well, that's building the walls. Now let me summarize all I've said and just some exhortations to some of you who are in that category that I kind of want to put a spur under you a little bit. Myths. These are myths that I think we often trip over as single parents. Let me just read them real quickly. First, you are not alone, so don't pretend to be. Secondly, you're not an alien, so don't act like one. You may feel you're different and your singleness, your parenting makes you different, but you know you have far more in common at this church than those things. And I'm on the other side of the fence, but when I see our single moms and single parent dads, I don't think of them as different. I just think of them as one of us. And they ought to feel like that. But you need to carry yourself like that. You're not an alien. And then lastly, you're not a failure unless you choose to be. So God promises this floor of promises. You build the walls of healthy characteristics that I've listed. And then lastly, there's a roof. Who puts on the roof? I think it's the church. It's the church family that must provide the roof. In James 1.21 it says, this is pure and undefiled religion. This is pure Christianity, he says, in the sight of God. And what is it? To visit orphans and widows in their distress. To get with them. To interact with them. To love them. And for there to be successful single parenting, we've got to help the men and women in our church who are that to shoulder a little bit of their load. We can't do everything for them, but we must embrace them in meaningful ways. It's like the story I heard of the little girl who's in her room crying and her mother rushes in to comfort her because she's afraid, she's scared. And the, the mom says, says, it's okay, honey. Jesus is with you. And the little girl says, Mom, stay with me. She said, no, honey, it's okay. Jesus is here. And then the little girl looks up with all these tears coming down her face and she says, Mom, I know that. But right now, I just need someone with skin on. <laughs> yeah. You know what single parents need? They need some skin. That's what they need. They need a hug. Just a hug. They need somebody to say, I appreciate your hard work. 
They need an ear to share some of their feelings. They need a shoulder to cry on. They need a phone call, not for a task. They need a phone call just to talk. Just to let them kind of spill it out. Say where they're hurting. They need somebody to take their kids for the night. That's how you spell relief to a single parent. Let them wander around in the mall. But take their kids. Keep them for a while. How about doing something really radical? How about becoming a father figure, men, for that woman in your community group or somebody that you feel pulled to? Not, don't, make, don't force it, but pray about it. And sometimes you're going to feel pulled to a certain kid built into his life, and who knows, he may grow up and have a son and name him after you. How about paying for a camp? How about inviting them over for the holidays? That'd be nice. How about helping make Christmas a little more complete? How about maybe becoming an aunt or uncle to a single parent and making a covenant to seal the formality? See, if we don't network with one another and help single parents, they can still be successful. They really can. I mean, they do have God's promises, and they can build those walls, and they can build a successful house. But I want you to know, it would be a lot warmer in that house and a lot drier if they had a roof on it, wouldn't it? And a lot more comfortable. The roof is the church of Jesus Christ. You know, I'd like to close this morning... And uh, this is not meant to embarrass at all anyone. But here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to pray for the single parents in our church. And I want them to stay comfortable and sit. And I want the rest of us. If you've ever been a single parent, maybe you're not now, but if you've ever been one, what I want us to do is stand just for a moment and give you a big round of applause. Could we all, the rest of us, just stand and let's clap for them in appreciation. Now you just remain seated for just one moment because I want to pray for you. Let's pray together. And when I finish my prayer, it'd be good maybe as we're walking out just to grab one of them, give them a hug. Say thanks for hanging in there. Lord, there is a lot of pain in being deserted And it would be great if it was just that and then we could move on with our lives, but it moves on with us. And I would pray this morning as we leave here that each of the men and women who fit the title that I've been discussing would feel a tremendous acceptance from you and from me and from our church. Lord, we appreciate the long hours um, the, the tired bodies, the red eyes, but the effort that continually goes day after day because they do believe it's right. 
And Father, I would pray that You would help them see it as even being more right and encourage their hearts and lift their spirits and use these things to perhaps even give a bit of course correction that would allow them to do even a better job and move us to love them. We're a family. And Lord, we need to feel like a family. But more than anything else, Lord, I pray that You might, with Your Holy Spirit, help them feel a sense of commendation for a job well done. They may say, it's been so imperfect and I've failed so much, but help them remember what the Scripture says, love covers a multitude of sins. We pray Your blessing on them as we leave. We thank You for the opportunity to worship You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Robert Lewis Sermon Podcast. If you were encouraged by this message, please rate and review this podcast. In addition, share this with your friends and community. This podcast was produced by the team at Sound of a Rose. You can learn more about the team at soundofarose.com.